Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with tongs from the fire. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. And I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I am one of the most unlikely people you would find to be standing here. I was born into just an ordinary family. I had five sisters, a wonderful mother, and an alcoholic, abusive father. I didn't have much of a childhood. All I remember is abuse, physical, mental, and eventually sexual. I was always shy until I started singing. My voice was the only thing that got me through. In the church choir, there used to be about 40 people in the choir. And I used to love singing. But the number of times the, the man in charge of the, the choir used to come down and say, Clifford, we can't hear the rest of them for you. Will you shut up for a bit? And then I'd sing twice as loud. The Lord always gave me a big mouth. And I'm not bothered about that because it's now used for the right purpose. How big is your mouth for Jesus? Are you frightened of using your lips in, in case people know what you're talking about? Your mouth should be a cave. And in that cave, there should be a sanctuary of echo. And that echo should keep going round and round wherever you are. And that echo should say Jesus. When I was young, we never thought of that. 
Yes, I was in the church choir from the age of seven till the age of 21. I don't remember Jesus being really talked about. I remember Billy Graham coming to our town, or quite close. I went to see him. And in the end, he invited people to come forward. I'd be about 16 at the time. I went forward to see what it was all about. And this guy came to lead me to the Lord. And he, stepped, he opened his Bible and he was running from one passage to another. And by the time he'd finished, I was so confused. He turned me off it for years. Billy Graham had put it simply. Well, this guy, I don't know what church he came from, but he must have been boring there because he was boring to me. He was, I was 16 and he looked about 95. So he was about the age I am now. No, I'm not 95, I'm only 73. And still serving. Still traveling for my Lord. Eventually the voice gave me a living. I became quite a star in Britain. Singing top 10 stuff, television, radio. I made a fortune. And I promised myself I'd never be like my father. I'd never touch alcohol. We all make promises, and I kept that promise. Until one day, there was an award ceremony, and I was the top of the bill. Everybody around me was congratulating me. They were drinking champagne. So I joined them for the first time. I went home drunk that night. We hadn't been married for very long, my wife and I. It was the beginning of the end of the marriage as well. In the end, she just could not put up with it. If I wasn't on stage or traveling to another club or theater, she was alone because I was in the pub. I became worse than my father. I didn't realize it. Alcohol does that to you. You don't know what you're doing. It's evil. It doesn't put you to sleep. It takes over your whole mouth and it takes over your mind. <coughs> Eventually I lost my job as a singer. Nobody wanted me. Who wants a guy that's falling down all the time? Didn't take long for me to spend all the money. My wife had gone, the job had gone, and now the money had gone. <laughs> What could I do? I got on a bus and I traveled to London where the streets are paved in gold. And it's true, you know, the streets are paved in gold in London. But you have to go in the night time when the lights are all on and they're reflecting on the water. 
I remember the first night I slept outside and I woke up in the morning and I said never again. I was cold, I was aching. I was only in my thirties. I woke up that morning, I'd slept just outside the Royal Festival Hall and things weren't good, I wasn't feeling well. During that day I went walking around Trafalgar Square, up the Strand, up towards Buckingham Palace, begging for money for a cup of tea. I never drank any tea. I just went and bought more alcohol. You see, I never drank alcohol to get drunk. I drank alcohol to stay drunk. There's a big difference. It was no longer a pleasure. Day and night I always needed alcohol. Eventually, it got too much and some friends I'd met there, also alcoholics, said, come and join us. So I, I did. Just off, the just off the embankment, there is Embankment Station. On one side there is the River Thames, and if you come out of the other side of the Tube Station, it goes up to Trafalgar Square. But as you go through the door there, there are the arches, just like this. But they were dirty and they smelled. That's where my friends slept at night. But they were safe because there were a, a number of them. I went and joined them. And I said, now what do I do? He said, go and find a cardboard box and some newspapers. Which I did. The cardboard box was to go on the floor. That was my mattress. Blankets was that night's newspaper. If you got hungry, it was easy. Do you know, I've had food from some wonderful places. The Dorchester, the Savoy, the Ritz, McDonald's, Kentucky. The only trouble is when I ate it, it was always second hand. Because I got it out of the litter bins. Every penny I had, had to go on alcohol. That morning, the first morning I woke up and I said, never again. I've said that so many times in my life. But that night I was back again. And the night after. I stayed there for 20 years. Can you imagine what it's like? A few months ago, I went to London to visit. And I went to where I'd slept for 20 years. Just a little corner, it was dirty, it was dank. It was dark. It smelled of urine. It hadn't changed a bit. That was my home for 20 years. My family eventually came and found me and took me home. But when I got home, they didn't want me. You see, I was no longer a human being. I was a vagrant, I was a tramp. I didn't wash. I didn't know how to use a knife and fork anymore. I used my fingers. 
or I picked up the receptacle and just dropped it into my mouth. I was a person that nobody wanted to know. A few days my family threw me out and said, no, we don't want you. We don't want you near our children, they'll catch something. It's dangerous. But the local council found me a flat and I went and lived in that. During the day I would go out into the towns around, standing on the streets singing and busking to get money. My housing was free. I was getting something from the government and I was also getting all this money from singing. I was having a great time. But I wasn't feeling well. One day I'd travelled away from my normal hidey holes, as you might say, and went to Manchester, which was about 20 miles away from where I lived. And I'm standing on the streets singing, and I've heard there was a big Pentecostal meeting in one of the big halls there. I'll go and stand outside there singing. So I did, and I went singing hymns. I never went there again. They all wanted to pray for me. <laughs> Boring. Nobody wanted to give me anything other than advice. I was better standing outside Yates' wine lodge at a local pub. At least I got something there. These Christians were tight. In fact, they were watertight, some of them. I used to hate it when they wanted to pray for me. And they'd walk away saying, God has healed you. And I thought, he'll only heal me when I get my hands around another bottle. Now, you see, I didn't believe in all that. I've been let down too many times. But one guy did stop that night. And he just said, what's your name? And I told him. And he said, I'll pray for you whilst we're in there. He said, but if ever you need me, just come and see me. Didn't know him from Adam. But he gave me his business card and I stuck it in my pocket. And he walked away. A few weeks later, I woke up in the morning, had no alcohol, had no money. I was desperate, I went through all my pockets. Couldn't find anything. I went down to catch the bus to the town because I had a free pass. And I was searching my pockets and I put my hand in my inside pocket and I found this card. It turned out he was a doctor. And he actually lived around the corner from where I was standing, 20 miles away from where he gave me the card. I went to see him. Within an hour I was in hospital, drying out. You know this talk about seeing things climbing the walls? Seeing pink elephants? I never saw any pink elephants. I saw a lot of spiders and things that crawl over you. And you know, they were real. Nobody else could see them. I could. They were real. 
It's been recorded 33 times that I was dried out. Most people don't do too. But on the last time in 1996, I'm coming out. And the man in charge was waiting for me, the doctor. And he said, come in here, Clifford, I want to talk to you. Why have you been in this time? We've done some tests, if you remember. We took a picture of your head to see your brain. I said, yes. He said, well, you've surprised us all because there's actually a brain in there. <laughs> I laughed as well. He said, but the problem is, as you grow, your brain increases in size. And as you get older, it starts to shrink again. Starts to die. Yours has already started. You're 50 years old and you've got the brain of a person of 90. We took some pictures of your liver. Half of it is totally dead. The other half, there's just 10% of it left. You've got cirrhosis. You have six months to live. No more. I went home to die. I never drank again. You see, I didn't want to die a drunk. I didn't mind dying of cirrhosis, but I didn't want to die a drunk. I didn't want to be like my father. The months went by. August came. And I knew I was on my last days because the doctor was visiting once or twice a day. He had a key to the house. And one night I'm just sitting there. Because I was dyslexic and I couldn't read or write, I couldn't read anything. I normally watched television. But that night I had a terrific migraine. I didn't want that. I didn't want music, I didn't want anything, I just wanted to be quiet. The sun was shining outside, but it wasn't inside. And I started reflecting, and I realised I was going to die probably that week. But where was I going? Did I have any hope? Was there something beyond? Had I missed something in my life? I started to cry. I was weeping there, just sitting on the settee, feeling so miserable, so lost, so alone, as some here know. They felt it. And during this time, I just looked up at the ceiling and I said, Lord, I've heard about you, but I don't believe in you. Are you there? Is there something on the other side? And the, nothing happened. I was just talking to the ceiling. Again, I looked up and I said, Lord, if you're real, I want to know 
Are you real? No answer. I waited a while, got myself under control. And I just looked up and I said, if you're real, prove it. I was challenging God. And you know, he did. I was amazed. I opened my eyes again. But ten hours had passed. I'd slept all the way through the night. And all I could remember was asking him that question, prove it. It's the first time I'd slept through the night for years. I always had to get up because of nightmares, dreams which were haunting me, or to go to the loo even, but that night straight through. And I knew he was real. I knew because he proved it in a way I could understand. Are you challenging God? Are you asking him if he's real? Well, don't go looking for burning bushes, because Moses had that. Don't go looking for the big things in the Bible. He will speak to you in a way that you can understand. They say there's so many billions of people on earth. And he knows them all by name. Whether they know him or not makes no difference. When you get to heaven, you're going to get a new name. I'd be glad to get rid of mine. <laughs> I really am, because the Lord told me to call myself brother at the beginning. Oh, and it does get in the way sometimes. I've had people curtsy to me, I've had them bow to me, I've had them throw bricks at me. I was even shot at when I was in Sweden. If you become a Christian, be ready. It's no place for cowards. If you're scared of your own shadow, it's no good to you. You might as well go to hell. Because that's where you're going if you don't find him. And if you're a coward and you you're afraid. He's the one that can take your fear away. Amen. I woke up and that night I'm sat alone again and, and I looked up and I said, Jesus, I know you're real. You've proved it. I've heard that people give their lives to you. I'm not going to do that. I've heard people give their hearts to you. I'm not going to do that either. Lord, if you like set me, I'd give you every breath I have left. You can't give him more than that. I've never wasted a breath since. Because I felt something happen inside. It's like, it was like a waterfall. It was something 
They gave me something I'd not had before in my life. I had a peace. It was a peace that made a wholeness. It was like a pizza that somebody had taken a piece out of and then decided to put it back. Suddenly it was real, it was whole. And I said, Lord, is there anything I can do with what is left? And it's the first time I heard the voice. People say to me, what's it sound like? Can't tell you. If anybody's here in the Holy Spirit, they can't tell you either, because it's something special. It's not a voice. It's not a feeling, it's a knowing. If you've never heard it, have you ever walked down the street and felt, I shouldn't do that? You're going past the, the cooker and you put your hand out suddenly and realise the kettle's there, you pull back. That's your conscience. And I found that is the way he speaks to me. He speaks in many different ways to many different people. I remember his first instruction to me when I began this work. I'd never preached a sermon in my life. I still haven't. He said, open your mouth and speak to the youngest person in the congregation. Because if the youngest person can understand you, so can everybody else. You won't hear long words out of me, because I don't know many. You see, I was born, and at school I never did anything. I was dyslexic. All I remember of school was the cane. But anyway, I heard this voice, go and tell. Suddenly the passage I read this morning came together. Who can I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, here am I. Send me. He said, I want you to go and stand on the streets, but sing the hymns you learned in the choir. Put your bowl in front of you and collect money. That will be your traveling, bed and breakfast and everything you need. Not everything you want, everything you need. friend of mine, his wife took me down to the train station and off I went for Cornwall. I could hardly walk. I weighed over 20 stone. I only weigh 9 stone now. I had a shopping trolley because I couldn't carry a suitcase. I was too weak. So I got a shopping trolley, and in it was a bottle of water, my bowl, a Bible, 
And in my pocket I had all the money I had in the world. And it had to last me the rest of my life. I had a one pound coin. And off I went. On the train I got myself a, a cup of coffee which left me with 5p a shilling. I'm still living on that shilling. You see what I said? I will supply all your needs. We all want something. It doesn't mean to say it's good for us or it's the time or it's going to do something to help the kingdom. He doesn't supply your wants. He's not interested in your wants. He's interested in you as a whole. I will supply all your needs. Just before I came here, I was in hospital. I didn't ring them in Jersey to tell them because they might have thought I was cancelling or they might have cancelled me and I knew the Lord wanted me here. Well, they found out I had COPD, which means the lungs have gone. I also had double pneumonia. Both lungs affected. When I came out of hospital and I came to Jersey, I was still ill. I'm still not right, the voice isn't here yet. But the Lord is. You see, I needed my voice. He supplied it. I needed to come here because he wanted me here. <coughs> and I believe that someone out there is listening not only with their ears but with their hearts today. I'm asking that one person. I, I, I never go for people coming forward and stuff like that. That's not my work. Is there anybody in here that's just like I was that day? Lord, prove it. Or why don't you get on with it? You see, when I get to heaven, you'll miss me if you're not there. But I won't miss you because there are no tears in heaven. If it's one of your relations, it's one of your best friends that doesn't make it, and you do, you never miss them. There are no tears in heaven. You'll only remember what's there. So many people say, well, I've done that much sinning. Yeah, so did I. I used to keep thinking of those sins, you know, they, kept, they keep coming back. They, they're on your mind. Yes, you've come to Jesus, but something had happened before which affected you, and it, it keeps coming back. Lord, did you, did you, did, did you get rid of it? Did you, did you heal this? And I'm sure a lot of people in this congregation are in that place, remembering something that... Is it going to be in that book when I get to heaven? You're wrong. 
you're calling God a liar. Because when you come to Jesus, you say, Lord, come into my heart, forgive my sins. He doesn't say you've got to name every one of them. I'd have been still there if I'd have been at it. Forgive my sins. Do you know he does? Just like that. Go. You don't have that sin in your life anymore. All you have is a memory. And you have a memory for a very good reason. So you don't do it again. So stop hitting yourself over the back with something that ain't there. Get on with that serving. But Lord, forget the book law bit. Get on with it. I set off. I came back three weeks later. I should have been dead. And I came back to die and I thought, I've done my bit now. And a few weeks later I heard that voice again. Go and tell. And off I went to Scotland. Then I came back and then he sent me to the Island Man and he's down to Wales. By Christmas of that year, I was in Ireland, the whole place, north and south. After a year, I stopped using public transport. I'd saved a few pounds up and I bought a, I bought a car. <laughs> I knew it was a good one because I bought it from a Pentecostal pastor. <laughs> it had to be good. It didn't speak in tongues, but it, it, it did a lot of talking, I'll tell you. I could hear it from three blocks away. I don't know how much I paid for it. And he waved goodbye and off I went. And the engine blew up on the M6. <laughs> I've never bought another vehicle off in a Pentecostal pastor since. <laughs> I don't know if he had a word of knowledge or a word of prophecy over it, but it was definitely a word of doom. But <laughs> I still love them. I don't think he's a Pentecostal pastor anymore. I don't think he sells cars anymore either. He's probably in jail, that guy. <laughs> For a year I used that and then I gave it away and I, bought, I was given a, a, a little white van, an old Mercedes it was. So we put a bed in the back and a little cooker and off I went. It was nice not sleeping in the boot. Or should I say, not sleeping on the back seat and doing the cooking in the boot. After that, another van, and then another. In the year 2000, somebody gave me a caravan and a car, a real one. I traveled the whole coastline of Ireland and Northern Ireland in that. 
turned it into a prayer sanctuary and people came in. Over a thousand came in over six months. Come in for prayer, many came to Christ. It was wonderful and then, because I'm not a very good driver, bang, I had to get rid of it. We then bought a single decker bus. When I went to look at it, it was in a potato field. They were actually using it to bring the potatoes back to the farmyard. But that's all I could afford. That was 2000. That broke down. 2001. They found cancer in my throat. So I was taken into hospital and they sorted it out. A few days later, I get a telephone message to go back to hospital. They'd found it had moved into my neck and along my shoulder. That operation took 10 hours. I've read what the surgeon wrote at the end of the operation. We cannot remove this cancer. This man will be dead in three months. I took three days off with cancer because I know the urgency of getting the word of God out. Or should I say the name of Jesus? The word of God is a wonderful thing as a rule book. But the word of God does not get you to heaven. It's Jesus that gets you to heaven. Some people think you can just quote gospel. Just quote the scriptures, it doesn't work. It's the name of Jesus that brings people to Christ. And the Holy Spirit. Off I went. We got another dotted bus that broke down. And I got a double-decker. And then another double-decker. It's not that I'm a lousy driver, it's that I can't afford anything worth having. You know the great big ones that go up and down the M1 in, London, in England? 100-seater. I bought one of them. Changed it into a church. And travelled Britain with it. And then he sent me abroad, I went to the Faroe Islands then Iceland, then Greenland. They don't have any roads in Greenland, by the way. So I couldn't take the, the bus with me. But I went. Not going back. Iceland is green and Greenland is ice. They got it wrong in the first place. It's a terrible place. All there are are these people in sealskin they don't live in igloos, by the way. They live in ordinary houses made of wood normally. It's, it stands the blast better than the stone. And there's not much stone there anyway. They eat polar bears as well. Iceland is a beautiful country. But it stinks of rotten eggs wherever you go. <laughs> Even the water comes straight from the geysers. It's beautiful. I love the place. And then he sent me into Denmark and Sweden, Finland, Norway. Somebody gave me, well, somebody kept ringing me up. He wanted me to take some Gospels of John. He had some 
but they were in Russian. And I said, well, I'm not going to Russia. Well, you've got to have these. He kept ringing me and ringing me. I said, how many boxes have you? He said, 20. Well, I thought that won't take a lot of room in my bus. They did. They took all my bedroom up. They weighed over a ton. I drove through a few countries. Nobody wanted them until I got to Finland. And then one little lady said, can I have six? I said, you can have six boxes if you want, love. No, just six. I want to send them with my Christmas cards this year. The next night somebody wanted one and then somebody wanted two. Then two young students came, two young girls. They wanted a box full because they were going on the holidays to Russia. A few weeks later, I had to ring Northern Ireland, where, who supply all my literature. They supply it to me free, so I give it away free. I'm not employed by anybody. I'm only employed by the Lord. Always get that in your head. I still live in faith. I had to ring them and say, I'm sorry, we've run out of Gospels. Right, give us an address. So that did. And they sent me six pallet loads this eye. And I looked at all these and I thought, what am I going to do with them? But suddenly they were coming out of everywhere. It must have been a month before I had to ring Northern Ireland again and told them, we've run out. Give us an address. They sent me I think it was a 15, 20 metre container just full of Russian Gospels. Don't know how many were in. You opened the door and you couldn't have got a fly in there. I don't know how they got them all in there. And then I moved on. I do believe, I've been told, that I started with that lady in six who was sending them over into Russia. Over 18 million have now gone over. Just because I said yes. Now I travel with many different languages, as you'll see over there. I get them for nothing. And that's what I charge for them. Thanks, my brother. I forgot one small thing. When the Lord came into my heart, once again I said, prove it. Prove it. And he told me where to go. He said, prove it. He said, go and get your Bible. I had one in the bedroom. Never used it because I couldn't read. Go and get your Bible. So I did. And I came back into the sitting room and I sat down. And I said, now what? And he said, open it. I said, pardon? Open it. I said, where? Anywhere. Pardon? Anywhere. <laughs> okay. So I did. 
Now what? Now look down. Then he sent his disciples and said, take nothing for your journey. Neither script, nor money, nor take more than one coat. Luke chapter 9, the first eight verses. Suddenly I could read, and I've read perfectly ever since. You see, if you ain't sure of Jesus, ask him to prove it. You see, it's, it's not God you're talking to. It's your friend. I remember somebody preaching and suddenly it hit me between the eyes. No longer shall I call you my servant. I will call you my friend. I'm a friend of Jesus. When I was 65, the government sent me a letter. They'd forgotten about me. Well, they sent me a letter telling me that I am now entitled to a pension. I didn't answer. When I was 70, they sent me another letter. They were getting quite annoyed with me. You should have drawn your pension when you were 65. You're 70 years old. You must apply for your pension. You're still waiting. You see, I don't serve the government. I don't serve you. I don't even serve me. I serve the one who dwells within me. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins, all of them. I want to know you better. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, because I believe in you. And I want to meet you in heaven one day. If you say that and mean it, you're on the way. If you're not so sure, just go over there. You'll find Gospels, some maybe in your language if you don't come from here. I've put out some Spanish and some French and some Tagalog. Yep. I saw two faces light up when I gave them theirs in their own language. Means a lot. Take some and send them with birthday cards and Christmas cards. I've got plenty of those. And they even have it in English over there. When you open it, open it to the second page. And it tells you how to find Jesus. I have found him. I know him. Somebody once said to me, Clifford, you've now been travelling for 23 years. How many people have you brought to Christ? 
And I think of the converts that ring me up. How many people have you brought to Christ in 23 years? And you know, I can tell them exactly how many. None. But I have been there when the Holy Spirit has touched their hearts. If you bring someone to Christ, he ain't gonna last very long. I once did it, and it didn't last a week, because the Holy Spirit wasn't involved. What can I say to you? What can I say to convince you? Nothing. All I can say is thank you for making me so welcome. I know I've run a bit over time because I always do. <laughs> He's lucky it's only a couple of minutes, it's normally an hour and a half. <laughs> but you see, I've got something to tell you. Amen. Who are you in Jesus? Who is the most important living person in this room? I don't mean the Holy Spirit, I don't mean Jesus. Who's the most important person in this room? I know exactly who it is. I can point to them. Do you want to know who it is? Look in a mirror. Because if you are a friend of my Jesus, you're the most important person in the world. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.